This sermon, Our Weakness and the Glory of God, was preached on Sunday, February 18th by Pastor Tom Wilkins at Sovereign Grace Church, Tucson. Good morning. If I could have you join me and stand as we read God's Word this morning. Teresa, you get a pass. We're going to be reading at length this morning, chapter 7 in Judges. We're going to read through the whole chapter into chapter 8, the first three verses. Let's read together the Lord's Word, verse 1. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then, 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them there for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all of the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took possessions in their hand, hands and their trumpets. And he sent all of the rest of Israel, every man to his tent and retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, Go against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, do not, or if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost, to the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were 
uh, without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. Then Gideon came. Behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came out to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 into three companies and put trumpets in their hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I. When I blow the trumpet and I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and a hundred who were with him, came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch where they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. And they held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for Gideon, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his own place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and the army fled as far as Bithshatah and toward Zerorah, and as far as the border of Abel Moholah. And Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Nephtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Bethborah and also the Jordan. So all of the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Bethborah and also the Jordan. And they captured two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They called Oreb and Zeb the rock. They called Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress, the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. And then the Midian, the men of Ephraim said to him, What is this that you have done to us, not to call us when you went to fight with Midian? And they accused him fiercely. And he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Ebizer? God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? 
Then their anger against him subsided when he said this. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Lord, what we have just read comes from your very mouth. Your spirit has breathed out your word this morning to us, and I pray that it would affect us, that it would change us, that your word would humble us, that your word would lift us up in hope found only in you. God, this is your word, every word of it. So God, help me. Help me as I preach your word this morning to put all my trust in you, in your word. Jesus, I pray that you would be exalted, that throughout our time this morning, we would begin to see over and over and over you, the great deliverer that would be coming and has now come. Help us to see you more clearly and in the end, worship you. Be exalted, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Wow. Charles Spurgeon writes this about pride and boasting. Pride is the most obnoxious to God. As a sin, his holiness hates it. As a treason, his sovereignty detests it. As a rebellion, the whole of his attributes stand leagued to put it down. God has touched other sins with his finger, but against this vice, he has made bare his arm. Remember, the first transgression had in its essence pride, the ambitious heart of Eve desired to be as God, knowing good and evil. And Adam imagined that he should be lifted up to divine rank if he dared to pluck and eat. The blasting of paradise, the sterility of the world, the travail of human birth, the sweat of the brow, and the certainty of death may all be traced to this fruitful mother of mischief, pride. He writes on, against all pride has he furbished his sword and prepared his weapons of war. The Lord, even the Lord of hosts, has sworn it, and he will surely stain the pride of all human glory and tread all boasting as straw is trodden for the dunghill. Oh, let Spurgeon's word continue to ring on. And so it is in our text today when we have heard all that we have heard regarding Gideon, whom we've been learning about over the last many weeks. God will surely stain the pride of human glory and tread on all boasting. I've summarized our text this morning. It is huge. And by the way, we're going to be camping in the first 15 verses. I don't believe we can get to all of this. So we're going to be camping in the first 15 verses in particular. But I've summarized it in this statement. God humbles his people so that we will boast in 
his strength alone. This is true. At times, God will bear his arm against all our pride. Against all our boasting, God will bear his arm. And he will bear it to the decree that we are not able to boast in our own strength. We will be reduced by God, we're going to find in our text today, so that we cannot, so that we can then only boast in God's strength alone. He will, in that sense, decrease us so that he will increase. We will be made weak in order that he will be known and worshipped as strong. God humbles his people so that we will not boast, so that we will boast in his strength alone. We're going to look at this in two points. So if you're taking notes, you can write them down. They're going to begin with the same phrase, but the points are, we cannot boast in our own strength, and we should boast of God's strength alone. And point one God's people must be made weak. God's people must be made weak so that we cannot boast of our own strength. Let's go to the text again and let's read verse 1. Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped on the side of the spring, beside the spring of Harad. We know actually in this text, we know that from men much smarter than myself. The spring of Herod, it's, no, it's being called this. The meaning of that word literally means to be terrified, to tremble in terror. And this certainly refers to Gideon and his army and their terror and being terrified at all that's coming, but it's also foretelling what's coming for the Midianite army. We found out in last week's text, it is now over finally for the Midianite army. They have come in for the last time. We read in our text this morning that they are now in camp down there in the valley doing what they normally do. They are laying waste to everything like locusts taking over the earth in that sense. Camels innumerable like the sands on the seashore. Is a hyperbole being used in this? This would have been the view from the Israelites. It might as well have been everything against them. Following God's gracious patience with Gideon, as Gideon tested him with the fleece, now Gideon is moving in a newfound assurance. The next morning, Gideon gathers with his army here at the spring, and it's noteworthy to know they're likely terrified. The people of Israel are now facing a 130,000 strong Midianite army of men with abundant resources. This army is well-fed and well-equipped. And yet God has clearly declared that this enemy has been already defeated and handed into Gideon's hand, and they will see this the Israelites will defeat this enemy, but God now was about to do something that no human warrior king would ever do when you're about to go into battle. Let's look at verse 2, and here's my appeal regarding verse 2. Verse 2 is an anchor verse. It is the key to everything else we're going to look at. If we forget verse 2 as we've gone on in this story, we get caught up in Zeb and Oreb and 
heads being cut off. We're caught up in pots and torches and trumpets. There's a lot going on in this story. But if we let go of verse 2, we're going to misunderstand all that follows. So hold on to this anchor verse. Imagine with me that you are tethered to this verse. And so a couple of times we're going to remember, oh yeah, remember verse 2. Here's why. Verse 2 reads, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me saying my own hand has saved me. Israel will win this war. God has said so. But God reveals now in this one text, this one verse, the nature of sin that is at work in his people's hearts that will lead them to proudly boast that they won this war with their very own hands. Our hearts are what Paul Tripp calls the worship center of our being. We are going to boast. This is who we are. We were originally made for this, to boast and to worship. This is how we were made, but sin has corrupted us. And we do what is the greatest of evil, turning away from God and worship of God. And we boast, and ultimately we boast in ourselves. And verse 2 teaches, and it teaches us, that there is something very ugly about us. Let's hear it in those words. He says, lest Israel would boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Boasting over God. This is not sidestepping or just kind of like, well, kind of disregarding. And it certainly is sidestepping. And it is certainly kind of forgetting about God, but it is, in a sense, an overlording lordship of our own boasting of the Lord. So Paul Tripp helps us in a very effective way as he writes these words. Sin has made us glory robbers. We don't suffer well because suffering interferes with our glory. We do not find relationships easy because others compete with us for glory. We do not serve well because in our quest for glory, we want to be served. Oh, we, we will boast. We know that throughout the scriptures. But our dilemma in our boasting is that we are going to boast in ourselves. We are glory robbers. Now, if maybe you privately are arguing with this, let's consider this together. This, by the way, this is true about the preacher. This preacher. I don't arrive this morning humble. In fact, how weird it would be of saying, well, I finally have arrived. I'm humble. It's a contradiction in terms, isn't it? So together, let's consider how this works out in us. The idol of self-exaltation 
is at work in us. It is boasting in oneself over God is captured here in these words in verse 2. My own hand. Oh, let those words ring out in verse 2. In my own hand. Right when God is about to receive the glory, do his name, we snatch it away in our own hand. As if it's about to land on him rightly. No, mine. We, with our own hand, have won this. My own hand has led us to this. My own hand has earned this. My own hand has built this. My own hand has gained all of this. Is this not your dilemma? If it's not, we need to hang out with you. It is certainly mine. This is our sin. This is their sin. Our things and our accomplishments lead us to boast over God and declare, my own hand has done this. And the Lord knows that his people will sinfully snatch the glory for themselves in this battle. So he is going to make sure that this is not going to happen. He will remove every single thing that we and that they grasp for in order to boast in their greatness. And he does this beforehand. Reasons to marvel at our own power. We will pat ourselves on the back. Just give us a minute and we're, we're like ready to strike our own back. Way to go, Tom. If you don't believe me, talk to my wife. Go to any one of my children. Go to any one of my close friends, you'll find out. No pride. Pride lurks and not so deep. Reasons the Lord is doing this is because we'll marvel at our own power, pat ourselves on the back for that power, declare we did this in our victory. And remember, hold on to this verse as we go into this next section, because we're going to read through verses 3 through 8. Remembering verse 2. So hold on to verse 2. It's going to inform what we're going to do. Hold on to that. Now, while you're holding on to verse 2, now if you can do that, go cross-eyed, I guess, and do that, do that. Hold on to this. Mark it in your Bible. Highlight it on your phone. Let's read together. Verses 3 and the following. We're going to read 3 through 8. God weakens the army. Verse 3. Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. You have to put yourself in Gideon's shoes right now. Because it says, then... 22,000 of the people returned. If we continue reading on through the text, Israel has a total of about 33,000. And Gideon sees 22,000 of these people turn and only 10,000 remain. 
It's worse than a UTEP basketball game at halftime when the 2,000 are left and the rest of the stadium just left so they can get out of there as quick as they can. Much worse. I can imagine that Gideon sees where all of this is going also. It's like, oh no. Verse 4, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them there for you. I will test them for you there. And any of whom I say to you, this is the one shall go with you, shall go with you. Any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go with you. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. The Lord is now choosing two groups. Remember, Gideon can see what's happening. But he doesn't know yet. He doesn't know yet what's coming. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. Verse 6. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. It's the kneelers. It's the kneelers, Lord, right? You're going to pick the kneelers. You're picking the kneelers. In verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his own home. You have to be kidding me. Must be what is the thought. And if it's not, because we know Gideon's just silent. We don't know actually his response in the text. So maybe I'm importing that on him. But I'm telling you how I would be responding. Lord, you're going the wrong way with the numbers. Look, I was able to muster up 33,000. There's 130. Lord, add to our numbers. Don't take away from our numbers. And the Lord says, no, I'm taking away from your numbers. So, verse 8, so the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. Don't forget that, and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, the rest of Israel, every man to his tent and retained the 300 men. And the camp, camp of the Midian is below them in the valley. It doesn't say... They took all their provisions and their weapons. They took all their possessions and their trumpets. The Lord decimates the Israelite army. Lord, you have weakened us. Why? Verse 2. Because you will boast over me. It's here where 
Thousands of sermons have been preached over the years on the wrong thing. And I'm sure mine was one of them, preaching one of these thousands of sermons on the kind of warriors that God is looking for. I remember this one. Those 300, those guys, they were paying attention. They were looking up. They gathered water up in their hands and they drank. These are men you want fighting for you. They're paying attention. That interpretation of the text is completely foreign to the text. Maybe in the end they were. But all of what I just said would have been added to that and it would have undermined what the Lord is teaching in verse 2. How would the Lord go, if I let you go now into battle, you will boast in me, so I'm going to pick the best among you to win. No, they will boast over me. And this is certainly not a teaching opportunity on leadership seminars on the brilliance of Gideon's war tactics. And I'm sure it's possible that this man did have some contribution in the way the Lord had gifted and made him. But for the same reason, we cannot preach leadership seminars on the brilliance of his war tactics. Okay, we're down to 300. How are we going to take them out? Oh, this is what we're going to do. Because in the end, why not? Because Gideon would do the same. He would boast over the Lord of what my hand has done. Don't let go. Don't ever let go. When it comes to pride and boasting, don't ever let go of verse 2 in Judges 7. God's people must be made weak so that they will not boast of their own strength. And here's where we move from point one. We cannot boast in our own strength, and now we're seeing why. But God's people must also be made weak so that we will boast in God's strength alone. Now the text takes on a hopeful ring. We cannot let go of that verse. Don't let go of it. Now read with me verses 9 through 15. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise and go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. Verse 10, what a kind, gracious, encouraging verse. But if you're afraid to go down, well then join the 22,000 that already left now. God in his gracious providence says, go down to the camp. Take your servant with you. And you shall hear what they say. And afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go against the camp. So whatever effect this reduction and weakening has now had on Gideon, who is not at his fullest strength to start with, the Lord is now telling this man, when you go down, You will hear something. If you're afraid, you're going to hear something. And then you will be ready. Your heart will be strengthened. Then he went down, the second half of verse 11. Then he went down with Pirah, his servant, to the outposts of the army of the armed men who were in the camp. 
And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts. You can imagine getting in his servant, coming in, coming in during this time and just seeing, now witnessing it at ground level what they're about to face. All the people of the east, they lay along the valley like locusts in abundance and their camels are without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. In abundance. In abundance. Lord, you've taken everything from us. And they have everything. When Gideon came in verse 13, behold, a man is telling a dream to his comrade. This is movie stuff. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and it came up to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down, and so that it lay flat. And his comrade, you can imagine two joking soldiers, or now something radical is happening. His comrade now understand something. And we know from this text, this is a miraculous moment for this man. Gideon is a nobody to these people. Among the Midianite, it's like, who is Gideon anyway? But something now has been given to this man by only the power of God so that he interprets a bizarre dream to get this. There is no other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Look at the effect on Gideon. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. He worshipped. Consider the repetition is what we just read through in verses 9, 14, and 15. God has given it into your hand from the mouth of God himself. From an army soldier of the enemy camp, God has given it. And now Gideon turns in 15, the very last of 15, himself says, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. It is here we have the joy, the joyful acknowledging of our weakness has now brought, has been brought on us by the Lord so that we will see our salvation is in Him alone. We cannot do this. God has and will do this. It is here that His reduction of us now becomes gracious and good for us. Paul Tripp writes right on the heels of his sin has made us glory robbers. He writes these hopeful words, but the story of scripture is the story of the Lord's glory. It calls me to an agenda that is bigger than myself. 
It offers me something truly worth living for. The Redeemer has come so that glory thieves would joyfully live for the glory of another. There is no deeper personal joy and satisfaction than to live committed to His glory. It is what we truly need. It is what we truly need. The gospel of our Lord Jesus converts glory robbers, glory thieves, now into glory givers. Look with verse 14 and 15 again. In these verses, we find an amazing thing has happened to Gideon. After hearing in verse 14, this enemy soldier declaring there is no other sword than Gideon, Gideon seemingly ignores the perfect opportunity to rob glory. Oh my gosh, my name has made its way into the Midian camp. I am going to take him. No, he completely ignores that. And he holds on to this. God has given it into his hand. And he immediately worships God in 15. His faith is strengthened just like God promised in verse 11. He's no longer afraid from verse 10. His faith has increased. And before the actual victory, before there's any trumpet blown, before there's any running enemy away, Gideon knows God's going to do this, and he worships. There's no stolen honor for him in this. There's no glory robbing for Gideon, only glory giving. Gideon boasts in God alone. This is where God has brought Gideon. The evidence of his readiness to lead this battle is not in any of the numbers and the strength of the Israelite army. It is now and only now and only here. It's found in his worship of Yahweh. Maybe this is where you and I can ask ourselves for a minute. Am I really succeeding? And we can answer that by, Lord, do I see that you have all of this under your control? You have secured the victory. I have no control over all of this. I bow before you in worship. I stand and sing aloud of you and you alone. Are you bowed down in depression, in worry, in fear? And yet, all you can do is, Lord, I need you. You've won already. You are secured in the battle already. You have found what those that have been brought weak have found. The proud will be humbled. The humble will worship. Well, we know this from the Apostle Paul. He would describe himself as a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was the best among the best. And he is, well, he's been making sure Christians are being imprisoned and put to death. He hates the way. He hates the gospel. He hates Jesus. Doesn't want to have anything to do with this Savior. Mercifully, God 
weakens Paul. He weakens him to the point that even days after his conversion, Jesus speaks. This is after the resurrection, his ascension, he speaks regarding Paul to the man who's caring for Paul. For Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show Paul how much he will suffer for the sake of my name. His suffer, Paul did. Paul, the former glory robber, is now turned to a glory giver. He will later write in a lengthy passage in 2 Corinthians about boasting. These words in Corinthians 12.10. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul had been brought to this point by the hand of God who had reduced Paul just like Gideon and his army. He had decreased Paul so that Jesus alone would increase so that Paul would then boast and only boast for the rest of his life until his dying breath of the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified alone. Charles Spurgeon says this, God has ordained that the only way in which he will save men shall be a way which utterly excludes the possibility of a man's having a single word to say by way of boasting. Is that not true? Now that we get it more and more, the gospel itself has excluded any of our boasting in ourselves. We are not the best. We are not the brightest. We discover we are not even ready. We're not even wanting. We're not even facing the right direction. We are not good enough for sure. We had nothing to offer. All we brought, all we brought was our boasting and our sin. So now we sing a millennia and two later out of the song Rock of Ages, verse 3. Nothing, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or... I die. Sinners, we are brought to nothing. We are brought to nothing to boast about when we are met by the mercy of God and the gospel. But boast, oh, we will. Worship, we will but only in the strength of our Savior and Him alone. God does humble His people 
so that we will boast and boast in His strength alone. If I could have the band join me. I commend to you the rest of the chapter 7 and the beginning of 8 for study as it leads into next Sunday's sermon. But don't just go home and study it by itself. Hold on to verse 2. Add to it verse 15 and let them anchor you in what's to come. This is, we find ourselves in this whole story of Gideon, which has not come to an end yet. This war is still going to rage on. This is the only moment in this story that we can likely stop and say, and we can say this about Gideon, this judge, this deliverer that God has brought to rescue his people. We can say this about him. Be like Gideon. Be like Gideon in verse 15. Be like Gideon on the heels of verse 2. Be like Gideon, though now weakened. We worship God. If you would stand with me and let's join Gideon.